0: Since the dawn of civilization, it's been a truism that money equals power. And it's never been truer than now, in a world where the richest companies and individuals in history have more power than ever to shape the destiny of the human race and the planet we all inhabit. With the future of life on Earth hanging in the balance, the way in which this power is wielded has never been more critical. Driven by the sobering reality, a crucial transformation is being forged right now by individuals, companies, and governments who understand that money and power must become a force for sustainable change. Welcome to Future Impact, an Investec Focus radio podcast series that brings you stories of people and organizations contributing to solving South Africa's most pressing sustainability challenges. In this episode, we unpack the concept of a green bond, a financial instrument designed to deliver investor returns while also funding positive change. We will be chatting to sustainability experts from Investec and the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, as well as a woman with real power at her fingertips, the CEO of the Katu Solar Park Power Plant. They will help us understand what a green pond is, how it works, and what impact it's making in the lives of communities in the Northern Cape. I am Seven Zilengkambule, and this is Investec Future Impact, Episode 3. In a section of the Kalahari Desert in the Northern Cape lies Katu Solar Park, a concentrated solar power plant that injects 100 megawatts into the country's struggling power grid, enough to light up 179,000 homes. It has also created hundreds of jobs and is set to save 6 million tons of CO2 through its useful life. This transformative project has been made possible through an innovative sustainable financing instrument known as a green bond. But what is a green bond?
1: I'm Elana Janssen van Furen, and I am the Group Sustainability Lead at Investec. A green bond is structured in um, a very similar way as a conventional bond that's been um, with us for many, many years. The difference is is that, that the use of proceeds, so the funds that you're getting in that green bond, is going to very specific purposes. Most people would think a green bond is only there for renewable energy projects, but it's actually so much broader than just renewable energy. It covers renewable energy, of course, energy efficiency, energy-efficient vehicles, making cities cleaner and sustainable, pollution prevention and control, water infrastructure, even climate-smart farms, where we are now getting into regenerative agriculture, It even covers clean transport. So it's a host of things. And there's so many opportunities within a green bond. So the difference between a green bond and a vanilla bond is that the use of proceeds are going to these green investments. And there's a direct link to those green investments.
0: And that purpose needs to be clearly defined.
2: My name is Shamila Subramani. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. So you come to market and say, I need to raise a billion rand and I want to invest it in XYZ. So XYZ then needs to be very specifically understood as to why that qualifies as green. Otherwise you could have anybody come to market and claim to be green. And so they need to be exclusively used for the financing or refinancing of new or existing eligible green products. So that's the other keyword is what is eligible and that they must have that positive environmental or climate impact. Generally there would be reference frameworks. A common one is the ICMA, the international Capital Market Association has a green bonds framework. And in there would be categories that would qualify as green. And generally, these are then globally accepted. So there would be a level of what qualifies as green. It won't be coal, it will be renewables, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a kind of an in and out. Another way that these things are often classified is using something called a taxonomy. South Africa just released our green finance taxonomy for the country, which is really a list of what is in and what is out, you know, in terms of when you're trying to qualify something as green. So taxonomies have a big role to play, so they would help with that. So when you're disclosing upfront how you're going to be using the money that you raised, you would need to ideally be able to say what what actually is your claim to green and what have you backed that against and what framework have you used to decide, yes, this framework is what I've used, this is why my project qualifies as green. And then you would need to disclose on how you're using that money. And that is critical, as you can imagine, to maintain credibility in the market for your investors and for the public at large who have an interest in this project that you're doing. The second requirement then from a JSE listings perspective to help maintain that credibility is that a bond would need to have an external review. And so that's an independent assessment on the use of those proceeds that I've just talked about and the selection process. So how did you go about getting there and how you're managing those proceeds? And you need to disclose on that. And that can take various forms. So this pro- external review can either be a second opinion, which you could, you know, qualified other party other than yourself. So you're not just saying, I've said it's green, therefore it's green, right? And then there's a certification possibly as well. So there are different entities that provide certifications that you have an external entity come in and certify. Yes, this is green according to our standard. And this is how we've done that. And then Typically, would take that certificate and make that part of her public disclosure documents, a rating, for example, by a third-party rating agency. So you would have certain bodies that are quite credible in the market that would provide that service, and that's the second thing. And then the third thing is that you would also then need to commit to regular post-issuance
0: reporting. Once the regulatory frameworks are in place, transparency is key for investors, says Milani.
1: There's high transparency in this space. So we are following the green bond principles, which one of the requirements is that there needs to be transparency. So that also gives comfort around the greenwashing elements. When you issue a green bond on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, your first impact reports have to be in a year's time. So there's a huge amount of transparency. And I think that gives investors comfort.
0: So what happens once a green bond is secured and issued and projects are in play? Well, then it's all about maintaining credibility. Shamila explains.
2: Subsequent to your first issuance, you would then need to do an, an initial reporting every year to say, so now how do I use that? Because very rarely would you have used all the money straight after you raised that finance, right? You would need to usually distribute it over time. Or even if you use all of it up front, you would need to continue to prove that that money is being used for what you said up front you were going to use it for. So that, of course, does then help with eliminating claiming something is green, and then it goes into the general fiscus of the company as used for other things. So those are the kinds of checks and balances one puts into place to try and make sure maintain credibility but also elevate the profile of such an issue and so it's easy to see for investors you know if you're an investor that's looking for something in your portfolio that qualifies that actually supports sustainable development to certain outcomes it's clearly labeled here's an instrument in which you can do that so there's benefits to the issuer as well as to the investor investors looking to green their portfolios and actually allocate money really with an intent to promote sustainable development quite specifically and tangibly. And then, of course, issuers who are coming there saying, we're doing something really positive and therefore we would like to be seen for that benefit. And so it makes it easier for both parties.
0: If you are enjoying this podcast, look out for other episodes where we explore more about sustainability and responsible investing and discover how the future of investment is already having real world impacts. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Investment metrics and abstract KPIs are all very well. But to truly understand the impacts of green bonds, we took a trip from the financial center of Johannesburg to the remote Northern Cape. I'm in Katu, a dozen kilometers off the N14, somewhere between the towns of Olifantshoek and Kuruman, here in one of the hottest parts of the country, green bonds were used to help fund an impressive sustainable energy plant that has literally
3: transformed money into power. I'm Mofundlela. I've been involved in the renewable energy space since 2013. Deborah is a renewable energy sector
0: veteran. Her CEO role has her seated at the head of the table at plush offices in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg. But the real action happens in and amongst a giant array of mirrors located in this remote outpost rich in iron
3: ore and sunshine. Katu Solar Park is a 100-megawatt concentrated solar power plant located in the Northern Cape. We're part of the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Programme. Essentially, um, we use a parabolic trough and molten salt storage technology. What that entails is that a parabolic trough is a set of concave mirrors, and these concave mirrors track the sun throughout the day, and they concentrate the sun's rays onto a focal point called an HCE tube, a heat uh, collector element. So in the middle of this HCE tube, there's a medium called a um, heat transfer fluid, or HTF. What the HTF does is that it carries energy to a water boiler exchanger and the heat is then used to produce steam. And then through a steam turbine, we generate electricity. So at the same time, and the value proposition about CSP is that we have a four and a half hour storage capacity through this molten salt storage technology.
0: Why is there a need for this concentrated solar power or CSP plant to store energy?
3: We're in a high um, solar irradiance area. So during the summer months, you know, we are able to dispatch energy to the grid at our full capacity during the day and also up to the maximum of our thermal energy storage system. We have to make a choice, especially during the winter months, in terms of how much energy do we divert directly to the grid during the day and how much energy do we then store. Obviously, the energy during the peak time is, you know, quite valuable. I mean, anecdotally, I'm sure you want to come home during winter and have, you know, be able to cook dinner and things like that. So this molten salt storage system um, essentially allows us to do that. I mean, I think my engineers will give you, you know, a great answer on this. But essentially, through this technology, it allows us to store energy for the four and a half hours that we can then dispatch, you know, during, as I said, the critical time that the country needs it. Debucho
0: breaks down some of the realities of the reporting that Milani and Shamila referred to earlier.
3: So on a quarterly basis, each renewable energy project has to submit its facts and figures um, to government to say this is how we stack up in terms of the commitments that we would have made at the inception of the project. So we are subjected to periodic orders, whether the internal or external, from the different environmental authorities to make sure that we are in line in terms of our commitments, our obligations and in terms of the mitigations that we might have proposed early on in the project.
0: Investing in a solar power project makes a lot of sense in South Africa, a country with abundant sunshine and a desperately constrained power grid. The antiquated fossil fuel plants on which the country depends for most of its electricity are among the most polluting in the world, and their output is inadequate to the country's needs. But the benefits of Katu Solar Park go beyond its primary purpose of supplying power to the grid. The project is also an agent for economic development in one of the poorest areas of the country.
3: I think the first thing is to say that every project, and we are not an exception, have made commitments to government to say that we will commit um, X amount in terms of jobs for South Africans, jobs for people of color. We redefined our strategy last year and essentially um, we are focused on skills development and education. So our two flagship programs are on early childhood development and also we have an ongoing program design that is focused on whole school development. So looking at teachers, students, infrastructure and psychosocial support. In terms of, you know, KITU specifically, and I think it makes it, it's quite interesting for us because we're in a remote location, which makes it, you know, challenging from a skill sourcing and also from a procurement perspective. And I think another thing that makes it a bit more complicated for us is that CSP compared to the other renewable energy technologies has got the least uptake. So in South Africa at present, we have seven CSPs in the country and they're all more or less in remote areas. So there's a big fight for skills. The first initiative that we took during the pre-commissioning phase was to initiate quite a well-developed training program to be able to, you know, take qualifying members from the community and train them up in terms of specifically the CSP technology. Mm -hmm. Again, from skills and training and development perspective, we have an interest as a company just because of the nicheness of CSP to always be on top of the technology and also to just train and develop our people. Some of the things that we are quite proud of is that during the construction phase, there were 500 jobs that were created for South Africans. So now during the operational phase, um, the operational team consists of, I think it's 86 um, individuals. So most are black, most are from the local community. And another thing that I'm quite proud of is that our senior management structure, you know, both on the operations and also on the project company side, is fully South African. Kytu Solar Park is, you know, run by a hundred percent South African team. We are required to spend one percent of our top line revenue on local community programs. So that is quite a sizable amount. So we have to be, you know, quite intentional, quite deliberate in terms of the programs that we engage in and also be, um, you know, quite intentional in terms of the impact that we want to derive. The Northern Cape is quite interesting in the sense that there's a huge investment on an annual basis. And I think it's one of the provinces that receives the most in terms of social economic development investment. However, it still remains one of the poorer provinces in the country. So, you know, when we were looking in terms of the programs that we wanted to, you know, put into place, yes, I mean, the province is huge and I think there's a lot of work to be done. But we had to be quite careful that even the bit that we put in does have the right impact. If you're enjoying this
0: podcast, look out for other episodes where we explore more about sustainability and responsible investing and discover how the future of investment is already having real-world impact. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. Green bonds have demonstrated their value in helping realize sustainable projects such as Katu Solar Park, where the investment goes beyond the buildings and technology that make it work. Green bonds also help provide community upliftment and skills development. And while Katu is just one project whose impact is dwarfed by the country's formidable ESG challenges, it's a shining example that many others are seeking to follow. Shamina expands on the growing appetite for green bonds and what's driving it. Investors are
2: looking for these projects. What we've noticed in the market is that we often see that the first move is get in there first. And then as people watch and observe, they get a feel for how it needs to be done. I think just like with anything, people are hesitant, you know, early up front. But certainly our experience is the JSC, the Green Bond segment went live in 2017, and we had, I think, two listings not long after that. But then the interest picked up after that. So we had a lot of requests of people asking for, well, how was it done? Who did the external review? Was there any benefit in pricing to the market? Those sorts of questions. And then as you get into that, you say, oh, so were there any additional or new investors? Because that, of course, is an incentive for somebody issuing them and coming to market looking for money. If they know that this type of labeling can possibly get eyes from new investors into the market and broaden their investment pool, that is an incentive for them. There's often this talk about what we call the greenium globally, which is really the indication that these bonds can sometimes attract a slightly lower cost of capital for the issuer because the demand is outstripping the supply by and large. So there's obviously a demand for this. And I can relate that back to South African market. In the green bonds that were issued on the JSE, they were all anything between three and five times oversubscribed. So for every rand that was asked, you know, there were probably five rand available to be given to them. And certainly one of the instruments we had in the market, one of the issuers had said that they, on the time they issued their green bond, actually went out to the market and issued, I think, a fourth tranche of that bond for a longer duration than than they would have expected because it was green. Investors wanted it. Now, generally, in a market that is a little bit reticent, you won't get longer-dated instruments. People might lend you money for five years but might be hesitant to do it for 10 years, right? Because then, of course, the risk increases of your repayment over a longer term. But if you can come to market that's normally giving out money at a five- or seven-year term and they do it for 10 years, that's actually quite a big benefit to the issuer. And they did it largely because it was a green bond and they were willing to go that extra mile for it as investors.
0: For Milani, the Green Bond isn't an instrument simply created to take advantage of the awareness around ESG and impact investing. It's a response to the times in which we are living and a function of the need to provide innovative solutions to our most vexing existential challenges.
1: We are finding ourselves in a very unique situation. Never um, in our lifetimes have we experienced this type of climate change. It's not the climate change itself that's the problem. It's the rate of climate change. It's changing too quickly for us to adapt as humans. So we are dealing with a lot of unpredictability. And it's not just the unpredictability that we're dealing with. We're dealing with insufficient information. We've never had this before. We cannot rely on historic information because we've never had this situation before. So it's uncertainty. It's incomplete information and it's also the interconnected consequences. One action following the other and it can ripple and you can get tipping points. So the way of thinking needs to be changed. You need to move away from more. I'm going to do prediction. This is what's going to happen. You need to change that to have more like a creative foresight to say, If this is happening, this is going to happen. There's multiple pathways, and that's the difference. So you need to navigate multiple pathways with a huge amount of uncertainties and a huge amount of incomplete information. And yes, that is difficult. It needs a different kind of mindset. You are looking at the options that's out there. And you need to manage within this uncertainties. And for me, always sustainability, the first and foremost thing is it needs to be profitable. It's not a charity. It needs to be profitable and business needs to be profitable in able to give back to community. Usually when you think about sustainability, you think about more the CSI part of things where you are donating money. But this is a business imperative. So it's a business focus where you are focusing on delivering something something good with the opportunity to also make um, a business out of this and to make money out of this. Um, always so excited to talk about sustainable development goals because it's a magnitude of opportunities you can expand your business models business opportunities business activities these new innovations we're seeing the new generations coming in they want to live a healthier life they want to live in a city that is not being polluted and um, we've got really really clever youngsters in, in South Africa and they're coming up with amazing ideas.
0: The stakes for success of this new type of financial instrument couldn't be higher. Shamila lays out the simple facts. Let's look at the deficit
2: in terms of financing that is required for us to be able to achieve the aims of the Paris Agreement, right? So let's consider that to be the global agreement on needing to get to a certain point. And largely, you know, most of these efforts are what? They're actually to mitigate climate change. Now, the global agreement on climate change is the Paris Agreement. And if you look at the funding required to be able to get, then what is that funding needed for? It's really to transform our energy systems, largely our transportation systems to move away from fossil-based economy towards more renewable-based economy to reduce that carbon footprint. And so there's money that's going to be required to now actually get in place the infrastructure that needs to do that to finance these things. Sometimes they are not coming at a market related return. So there's a lot of money that needs to go in there. There's a lot of innovation around instruments that needs to happen as well to be able to get the money that's required to finance. And I think the other issue is time. We don't have a lot of time to actually achieve the Paris objectives. We're talking about net zero by 2050. If you're looking at what the climate change requirements are and what is required by science. More importantly, we're looking at significant reductions required by 2035. We're in 2022. That's not long from now where we have to have significant reductions. I think we talking about 50% by 2035 of the baseline of earlier. So that's the big thing is that in the next few years, a lot needs to happen, which means a lot of money needs to flow to be able to make that happen because that change in infrastructure doesn't come cheaply necessarily – But as we're seeing the cost of renewables coming down and things like that, the actual investment case, I think, is becoming very attractive. The other issue that we often don't price in and that we need to consider is that up to now, what we've done is externalize costs and internalize profits. So the cost of burning fossil fuel and what that means in terms of health issues, for example, in communities that are directly there in those areas where, you know, that fuel is being burnt and then the air pollution that is actually resulting from that Those sorts of issues become an issue. Now, as we move into disinvestment, for example, in some of these industries, we're starting to look at what we call stranded assets, which means those companies start showing less and less profits, which ultimately is going to impact our economy and things like that. So those are the things that we haven't often priced for in the past that are coming. And we're starting to see regulation around the world in relation to the need to reduce carbon emissions happening faster than they did before, which means that the ability for companies to react is actually going to be quite constrained. And so the rate at which we might see stranded assets, the rate at which we start seeing increased litigation, legal action against companies who are complicit in climate change is is actually changing quite rapidly. So those are the things I think that are going to be a lot of the factors that need to push that change to happen faster and that the need to be able to clearly see what is green and to look at the credibility around these instruments is going to grow quicker and the need to push that money in there has to grow. So hopefully we're going to see this change quite rapidly going forward because those of the factors that I'm suggesting are going to push us in that
0: direction. But like every complex problem, there's no single simple solution. Here's Milani on one of the challenges facing instruments like green bonds.
1: We need to transition in South Africa. It's not going to be easy. It needs to be a just transition, and we need to make sure that it's done in the correct way. We're not just focusing on the E in the ESG, the environmental side. We have to focus on the social side as well. So it's going to take time to get there. But we're seeing traction, we're seeing innovation. In a banking environment, you usually look at a three, five-year view because that's the term of your loans. Sustainability is much longer, 10, 15, 20 years. But now we're seeing traction and it's starting to happen. But we need to be careful, especially in the energy transition, to make sure we do it in the right way to protect our people in South Africa as well. As you might know, we've got the highest unemployment rate. We need to manage that. We need to look after those people whose jobs and whose livelihoods are tied into our current energy industry. So it's a really, sustainability is all about balance. Environmental balance, social balance, you need to balance it. But with challenges, there comes opportunities, and that's what excites me the most.
0: Milani and Shamila, like the rest of the planet, have a vested interest in green bonds. But unlike most, they have seen the difference green bonds can make and can illustrate how interest in these instruments is growing.
1: We've got five projects that's already um, running and been operational for quite a few years. And it hasn't just brought energy to the grid, it's brought energy to the homes of the community. Besides that, there was community upliftment as well. So we built schools around those projects and we've build up that community, training those people in the community to have jobs, to go and work on these plants, to go and create an economy there where they never had it before, where they had to come to a city. They can live at their family homes. They can contribute there, and they can create a mini economy there and build it up from there. So just by looking at the projects that's already been done you can see community upliftment. It's a great story. And I think South Africa has got so much potential.
2: Just from last year to this year, the year-on-year increase was uh, 21% of the green bonds issued on the JSE. And so that already tells you quite a positive story. I can tell you the bond market as a whole didn't grow at that rate, but the green bonds did. And so that tells you that as an instrument type where we're getting that interest from the market, and they're now starting to see that benefit of coming to market with those issuances. So we have seen an uptick in interest as well as an issuance, so that number's gone up. In total, the actual value of green bonds issued on the JSE to date is sitting at just under 20 billion rand, so well over the billion dollar mark. Demokha
0: is perhaps understandably bullish about one particular potential application
3: for green bonds. From a South African perspective, I think we're moving in the right direction, of course. I think what we can be seeing in the next couple of years is, is you know, increased uptake of renewable energy. Um, I'm personally excited about the uptake and in interest from the mining sector and generally high energy users in this country. It's another opportunity for additional renewable energy uptake. And I think it's going to be interesting merging and managing those integrations from a mining perspective. Mm-hmm. Another very, very important aspect is that I think it's always been the view of the renewable energy industry that we want to build capacity, right, not just megawatts on the ground, but also where the opportunities allow to start to build local capacity, even from a manufacturing perspective, with good planning um, and I think good coordination between financiers, government and local developers. I think that can be realized.
0: Responsible investing itself is a relatively new way of looking at securing a viable future, The green bond is just one instrument among many. But Shamila's hope is that it lays the groundwork for investment principles that will one day be ubiquitous.
2: We're definitely going to see a lot more focus on impact and outcomes rather than just saying, you know, how much am I lending and what's my return going to be in a typical traditional financial sense that those things need to change and we need to see this more impact driven approach broadly. And I think those are the things that are going to grow in time as we see that these benefits need to exist alongside each other. And that we are less and less isolated, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a systems view that we need to have. My hope is that eventually we won't have a green bond or a social bond. All bonds will be issued that way. But yeah, that's a long time from now. But in the meantime, the specific instruments that drive that reallocation of capital in a very specific way are necessary, and I'm hoping will just grow and
0: grow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Investec Focus Radio's Future Impact. In our next episode, we look at the powerful role that export finance is playing in achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and developing infrastructure in Africa.
3: The project was
2: a 225 million euro financing in Ghana. And really the objective was to dramatically increase access to healthcare and the quality of healthcare that is provided to the population.
0: If you are not yet subscribed, you can find us by searching for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate us if you've enjoyed this conversation. Until next time, cheers from me, Seven Zilin and the Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Bank Limited, an authorized financial services provider and registered credit provider.